By your heads. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for, again, this opportunity to, to look at your word and to really, Lord, study breaking the addictions and habits in, in this life the Lord, the enemy wants, us to, wants to trap us in. We thank you for the blood and for the love of Jesus that is able to give us true freedom. Be with us now, Lord, as we study your word further. It's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. So we just done number seven, which is sharing your testimony with others. And so, you know, I have to really encourage everybody to have a testimony and to really always want to share their testimony with others. Um, and sometimes that means you have to be a little bit vulnerable. <laughs> you, may, you may not really like to say some, of it, say some of it, but and again, it doesn't have to always be from the pulpit. A lot of times what has to happen really should be happening one-on-one um, -on -one at your job or at your school. Um, you know, I worked with the county. I, you know, I used to work with Loma Linda where most everybody, if they weren't Adventists, they knew what Adventists were by working at Loma Linda. Um, and, that was a tough environment sometimes because it's as if there was almost a counterculture developing against Adventism, it felt like sometimes. But to be in the county of Orange, yeah, people don't, most of those people don't know anything about anything about Adventists. So it's a wonderful opportunity to try and really, you know, elevate the Lord and really introduce them to some of our truths. Um, and, you know, that's a, that's a wonderful opportunity. And you have to be careful. It's a secular environment. And I've learned, you know, you, you have to respect where you work. I mean, you can't. You know, they didn't hire you to come in and preach, so you've got to respect where you work. But your lifestyle, on, in some ways, should be your first words of your sermon. So, you know, I have Bible verses on my desktop on different things. And so people come in and say, hey, what is that? And, you know, and they'll ask the question, and then I can share a little bit with them about that particular verse or, 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 or that, you know, the story or whatever. So we're always looking for opportunities to share because I believe that sharing strengthens us. Christianity is one of the few things in the world that when you give it away, you actually get more of it. One of the few things in the world that actually works that way. So it's important that we share. And this picture here, I didn't talk about the picture, but this is a picture um, uh, depicting some of the things that happened during the Inquisition. And I put that here just because it talks about overcoming him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they loved not their lives unto death. Um, on a side note, I think actually we are facing a time when we really do have to begin to look at martyrdom again. And I don't necessarily mean hopefully not in Iraq, even though I guess at some point it may come to that. But a lot of us, we're going to become very unpopular. Um, and one of the examples of that was this recent Proposition 8 uh, debate here in, in California. And, you know, I, I'm not into watching beauty pageants, but I did see the whole thing that happened with Miss California. And I was actually pretty surprised at the backlash she got um, for simply saying she believed marriage was between a man and a woman. And I actually have to say, I was, I was actually encouraged at her bravery. And even the new one, they said, said the same thing. But look at how the world, how fierce the world comes back at even the smallest bit of truth. I mean, that, that wasn't any, I mean, how common sense truth is that? And look at the reaction. Imagine when it gets to some of the deeper issues, like the Sabbath and Sunday keeping. It, 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 I mean, can you imagine the venom that will be spewed against the people who say, no, we're going to do what God says to do in his Bible? If something as obvious as marriage being between a man and a woman can create venom, I see those are going to be some very difficult days. And by God's grace, we, you know, we, we are now developing the strength we need to, 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 to get through those days because they're, they're already here. It's not that they're coming. They're already here. If you're vocal in some of these things, you'll, you'd, you'd get the pushback now. 
Ellen White says that the power of the will can resist impressions of the mind and will prove a grand soother of the nerves. Ellen White talks a lot about the will and that we should have a strong will to do good. Um, but she's also very strong in saying that we have to put full trust in God. And so I like that balance, that we do everything we can, but we also recognize that even our best is not enough, that Christ really has to do, do it for us, so that we are cooperating with God in victory. And one of my favorite texts is 1 Corinthians 9, 24 to 27. It says, Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receives the prize. So run that you may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. Therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air. But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. The word castaway in the Greek is a dakemos, and it means disqualified. Paul says, I don't want to start this Christian race and then be disqualified. This is also, to me, speaks against one saved, always saved. There's a good text against that. Um, and even when you read Romans chapter 7, and he talks about this battle between the flesh and the spirit that we started this talk on, understand that Paul even gets down to where he says, no, I beat down my body and bring it into subjection. It's difficult, but I, I, through the power of the living God, I gain control over the body so that it does not win the war um, that is being waged. Um, and amazingly, you know, I, I say all the time, you know, people like, you know, this, the, the Lakers just won the championship and everybody's so excited in Southern California about the Lakers winning the championship. Um, and Kobe Bryant is, you know, there has posters of him saying he's got his fourth ring. Kobe Bryant works hard, gets to the court before everybody else. He, in the offseason, he's working out when everybody else is relaxing. He is on a mission to win a championship every year. Paul would say it like this. If Kobe Bryant is doing that to obtain a corruptible ring, what are we doing for the kingdom of God? I mean, if he works that hard so that at the end of the season he can hold up his finger and instead of three rings, there's four on it, what are we doing for God? And his rings are corruptible. I mean, the truth of the matter is even, of course, when Jesus comes, it all is going to burn uh, at some point. But even before that, does anybody really care how many rings Magic Johnson has now or Wilt Chamberlain? I mean, you forget that stuff instantly almost. And they work so hard to get it. How much more we who will get an incorruptible, permanent crown one day from Jesus? How much, more, how much more should we be willing to sacrifice for the cause of Christ? Um, Romans 7, 25, 8 and 1 says, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord, so then with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. He says something powerful here that I think is important if you're going to overcome addictions, and that there is, that, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. You can't walk after the flesh. That's really what Paul is saying. As long as you give your flesh power, it will take control. Paul says the flesh, you can't walk after your flesh. Walk after the spirit. And again, that comes from fighting that fight of faith. I can't emphasize that enough. That when we draw closer to Christ, the things of the world, they grow strangely dim. The stuff you used to do has... Just no draw. 
I mean, there was a time when I would have had to watch every single playoff game this year in basketball. And it's like, oh, whatever. I mean, you know, you watch it, you don't, it's a big deal. Now I, I don't follow it the same way because there are bigger, I realize there are bigger, deeper, cosmic issues at stake than who's going to win the, the NBA championship or the Super Bowl. And I don't have to work on not watching it anymore. I just shift to doing something better for God. And I hope that all of us get, I mean, that's the really where we want to get to is where the things of the world just don't appease us. They, they don't appeal to us. And by default, we begin to fall more in line with the precepts that God has for us. Because if you're trying to do it by yourself under your own power, it is a tough fight. So obviously it has to be done. The Bible wouldn't tell you to do it if it didn't have to be done. But the power with which you do it is really the key to gaining a victory over addiction, bad habits, and all the rest of it. Um, I want to do the, the rest of this session for the next half hour. I want to come from um, the Bible because I want to talk about what we need to do for others. In the book of Mark, chapter 9, starting at verse 14, and I was going to put this on the screen, but this is it's too many verses, really. So hopefully everybody has their Bible. Mark chapter 9 and verse 14. Um, one of my favorite Bible stories, and it speaks um, powerfully to what God really wants, you know, the way that Christ approached others. And I think there are lessons that we can learn in trying to help others as well. Mark 9 and verse 14, the Bible says, And when he came to his disciples, he saw a great multitude about them and the scribes questioning with them. And straightway all the people, when they beheld him, were greatly amazed, and running to him, saluted him. And he asked the scribes, what question you with them? Verse 17 says, and one of the multitude answered and said, Master, I have brought unto you my son, who has a dumb spirit. And wheresoever he taketh him, he teareth him, and he foameth, and gnasheth with his teeth, and pineth away. And I spake to thy disciples that they should cast him out, and they could not. Now, this is significant because the disciples had worked miracles before by this point. They had received the Holy Spirit. They, they'd been doing some, 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 some good stuff for God. So the fact that they couldn't do this was really troubling, not only for the father of this child, but it was probably pretty troubling for the disciples as well. And the scribes were probably saying, hey, you guys are fakes. Jesus is not around, and now all of a sudden you guys can't do anything. So Jesus comes out. I like the fact that Jesus steps into the, at their defense. You got to kind of appreciate the fact that Jesus doesn't allow the scribes to just sit there and pick on his disciples. Jesus jumps in instantly and is like, hey, what you doing? Why are you messing with my boys? Why are you messing with my disciples? Why are you asking them all these questions? And shifts all of it off of them onto who? Onto himself. Jesus steps in, and, and, and I think that's a lesson for all of our lives as well. Jesus will step in, and you can leave your problems at the foot of the cross. Amen. He will step in to defend you. You don't serve the kind of God that sits back and watches you suffer and doesn't jump in. We serve a God that actually gets actively involved in each of our lives. And he says, and he said, and they could not. I submit to you that there are a lot of people who come in contact with Adventists and find that when they expect to come in contact with Adventists and gain victory over sin or deal with difficult problems or whatever it is that they're going through, they come in contact with Adventists and think that they're going to help them deal with these big life problems and walk away like this man would have walked away if Jesus didn't show up. His disciples, the, the Adventists, couldn't help us. 
I pray that we never, you know, as, as we minister to people, as we come across people, that when they come in contact with us, we are able to represent Jesus Christ for them. And that, we are, that people don't walk away and say, man, they have no power of the Holy Ghost. No power to pray for. No power to nothing. Their message is mute on us. And so we, we, we have to think about that as his disciples. Um, but he says in verse 19, and he answered, and, uh, he, answered, he answered him and saith, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him unto me. Verse 20 says, and they brought him unto him. And when he saw him, straightway the spirit tear him, and he fell on the ground and wallowed foaming. Now, one of the things, I, I was going to say this in the last section, one of the things I've learned when you're dealing with uh, spiritual warfare kind of things, and I don't know if I necessarily like that term, but I'll use it, spiritual warfare types of things, and you're dealing with um, big picture spiritual issues, one of the things I've found is that when the devil gets a chance to show out, he'll show out. Just like now, okay, so the crowd, you can see the crowd clearing, kind of like a, <laughs> a playground fight. Everybody clears, allow the, the, this, this, this showdown to happen. Once the devil sees that, the devil acts up even more. He actually gets more active in this child. I warn people at our church, I say this at Rubido a lot, I warn them, and I used to say this at 16th Street Church a lot, I warn them that the most dangerous place in the church is the rostrum. I say it all the time. Anywhere where the Shekinah glory of God is supposed to fall, anywhere where people are elevated up higher than anybody, some other people, the devil is looking for every opportunity to join you there. This young, once this young boy became the center of attention, notice how quickly the devil began to act out in that boy. And, I, you know, talking about selflessness in our last section, it's the same principle with church. I warn people that if you're going to go in front of people and minister, pray extra hard. Spend more time in prayer. Spend more time in Bible study. Ask God to keep you humble. Because it doesn't take much for you to get up on the rostrum and it go to your head. And when that happens, the devil has a wedge. He can get in and begin to work on you. And the Bible is replete with those examples. Everybody from Ananias and Sapphira all the way back to um, Aaron's two sons. I mean, there are plenty of times in the Bible when people get into a place where of worship or of, or of giving and all the attention's on them and they exaggerate things or they try and do their own thing. They try and draw more attention to them and God is not pleased. I warn people all the time, if Lucifer was the choir director in heaven, quote unquote, and he, had, and he was the cherub that covered and he was, every precious stone was his covering, he's used to reflecting the light of God. He's used to singing praises to God. He loves to get into an environment where he can occupy that space. So it's important, anybody who's going to do ministry and get in front, it's critical that you understand that humility is the key component you need to be a, a, a completely effective tool and vessel for Jesus Christ. Because once self gets into it, the devil can take you over. You ever wonder how people go so far off? The book, the book uh, my wife's reading now, now Beware of Angels, uh, Roger Minot's book about some things that happened up in the north, well, actually not too far from here probably, and how they were led away. Once you get one person elevated, the devil will jump in and try and use that individual, whether it's David Koresh or Jim Jones or there's a guy in Florida right now, and he says he is Jesus Christ, a Puerto Rican preacher. 
says he is Jesus Christ. He went to Puerto Rico to preach, and they shut down national television for like an hour. They've never done it in the history of the island for a guy who says he is Jesus Christ. The devil is looking for an opportunity to jump in. That's why the, the idea of creating Christian um, celebrities is a bad idea. Right? So you get Kirk Franklin, he's a celebrity. Next thing you know, he's on Oprah Winfrey talking about, well, the whole time he's making all this gospel music, he was addicted to pornography. And, and it's like, if you're in the world, you're like, what? It's Babylonian confusion. And the devil is looking for the opportunity to do that. I wanted to stick that in because I meant to say that last section. And he answered and he said, um, and he says, verse 20, and they brought him unto him, and when he saw him, straight with the spirit tear him, and he fell on the ground and wallowed foaming. And he asked his father, how long is it ago since this came unto him? And he said, of a child. One of the things that my research in public health has uh, I've learned is that much of what we are as adults really happens as in our childhood. It's critical that children be given every advantage. Good diet, stable home, solid education, Christian education. All of those things are important because during that time, the character is developing, developing in leaps and bounds. And then we now have all these studies about obesity, about adult obesity, and that the stress of childhood actually is a predictor for it. Many, many things. He says of a child, it is imperative that as a church, we take youth ministries. I heard you say you have a burden for youth ministry um, this morning in the, in the prayer group. It's imperative that we take youth ministries and even younger, children's ministry, more serious. Because the truth of the matter is we lose many children before they ever have a chance. Lose them. His father said this happened to him when he was still a child. And oftentimes, verse 22, it hath cast him into the fire and into the waters to destroy him. He says to Jesus, if you, but if, but if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. If you can do anything, Jesus. Is that a statement of faith? That's kind of like throwing a dart at the board over your shoulder. Like, uh, let's just see what happens. If you can do something, Jesus. Now, look how, look how Jesus responds. Jesus says unto him, verse 23, if you can believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. Amen. Now, so the guy says, look, Jesus, if you can, can, you, can Jesus do it? Of course he can do it. The issue wasn't Jesus. The man made Jesus the issue. The real issue wasn't Jesus. It was the man's faith. In fact, I would submit that his child got in trouble in the first place because of the man, something happening in his home. The issue, Jesus was never the problem. And a lot of times people try and make God the problem. We question God when in fact, everything we need, God has sitting waiting for us. The question is, do we trust God? Do we believe God? Do we have the faith in God to tap into what God has for us? He will supply all of our needs according to his riches in glory. So then why do you not have what you need? Is it him or is it you? I have students at Low Millennium, I, I, you know, I'd love to go into you know, medicine or farmers, whatever. I don't have any money. And I, you, know. you don't have to have money. Do you have a heart that when you get this degree, you're going to serve God with it? Are you going to use this to advance the cause of his kingdom? If you really think that this is what God is calling you to do, the question is no longer about God. Because I know God can get you through school. 
The question is, do you believe that God can get you through school? I say this all the time. I say, God doesn't own 1,000 cattle on a hill. God owns a th the cattle on 1,000 hills, meaning in the, from the Hebrew numerology, all of the hills. He has an endless supply of resources for you. Why do you behave as if you serve a God who's limited? And our institutions suffer. I was speaking to one of the chairs of one of the departments at Loma Linda, and he was telling me, and we were, I was trying to convince them before I left Loma Linda full-time, and I moonlight a little bit now, to, I said, look, we have an area of San Bernardino, West San Bernardino, for those of you who know, it's gang-infested, it's one of the highest murder rates, poverty problems. I said, but if we brought the family practice program over there, and we brought spiritual principles with us, Adventist principles with us, we could actually have an incredible impact. We could, in, we could bring souls to Christ. And he said, it, it won't make sense. It cannot make the bottom line. It won't ever make the bottom line. There's not enough money in going in that neighborhood. I said, aren't we supposed to be an institution of faith? If God wants us over there, won't he open up the doors for us to get over there and it, the bottom line be met? We got a whole cast of Adventists now that are scared to do anything. We're scared to fail because we measure success on man's standards. And I said, we can go over there. And I went and talked to the hospital. The hospital was like, look, we'll help you pay for it. I mean, it was, it was a done deal. And I said to this person, I said, if you, don't, if you don't really believe in God, be careful. Don't tell everybody you do. And then when, you, when, the, when, the, when the crunch time comes, you withdraw as if you don't really believe. If you believe, let's believe all the time, even in the difficult things. And last I heard, two, three years later now, or no, well, about a year and a half later now, now they're over there talking to the hospital because they have no choice. All their money dried up <laughs> on campus for their residency clinic, and they got to find somewhere else to go. Amazing. God was, he was, I mean, and we, uh, two of us really put together a whole package, how we could go over there. I said, the impact we could have with the students, the, the medical students at Loma Linda are phenomenal Christians, most of them. Many of the ones that I've worked with, I've been very impressed. I mean, we went, I met and visited out at one of the um, homeless tent camps out in uh, Ontario with five or six students who wanted to volunteer and go and serve the homeless. And I was impressed. But I was shocked when I brought that idea as a faculty member higher up at how many above were like, eh, that will never work. God's not the problem. He's got what you need. Our own lack of faith is often the problem, even co corporately as a church, as to why we don't move forward with things. We step back and say, eh, it'll never happen. But, and and the, the irony is God specializes in the impossible. Amen. Doesn't he? Yes. Yep. I mean, if, if, I mean did, he, did he call out the Army um, Corps of Engineers to build a bridge over the Red Sea? <laughs> right? And if he did, it, it might have got washed away. Instead, what does he do? He step, step into the water. Raise your, raise your, raise your, raise your, uh, your rod, Moses, and the river take care of itself. But we have to believe. Jesus says, if you can believe, all things are possible to him that believes. How many things are possible? All things. Everything is possible. 
And straightway the father of the child cried out and with tears. When he realized he was questioning God when in fact he was the problem. He was the one in the way from his son being healed. He says, and I love what the, what the father says. While he's crying, he says, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. The question here about faith then is, can you believe and not believe at the same time? Can you believe and not believe at the same time? In one way, you can. Because you can kind of believe there is a God, but you can question how far he'll go with you. And I think really that's the father's problem. The father, he was smart enough to look for Jesus. He had some faith. Amen. If he had no faith, he'd have stayed home. Yes, amen. So he had some, and the Bible says there's given to every man a measure of faith. But faith, you know, I equate faith to, to, to working out in the gym on weights. Faith has to be exercised. I go to the gym and I do bench pressing. I love to bench press. I try to throw up a lot of weight. Why? Because when I do it on a microscopic level, my muscles get ripped up. And when my muscles heal, they actually get bigger and stronger than they were before. That's why you lift weights. Faith is the same thing. But you know what it is? Some people don't want to lift any faith. They don't want to press any challenges. If it doesn't come easy, they don't want to lift it. So you never actually push the measure where you exercise your faith and grow your faith. Paul wasn't the powerful healer, preacher he was overnight. Neither were the prophets of the Old Testament. But you've got to exercise your faith and be believe God in small things, and eventually, God begins to move in bigger things. Even corporately, sometimes, we've got to say, okay, let's just work on this one small project. Let's ask God to give us the strength to get this little project done. GYC is a good example of that. I mean, it started relatively small. I mean, they've got GYC going all over the place now. I can't even keep track. I think they even have it in Europe now. Probably even, are they going in Latin America yet? Australia, you see what I mean? Asia. Somebody had to have, the, somebody had to have the, 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 the faith to say, we're not only going to have these things for youth, we're going to have them and they're going to be effective and we're going to go everywhere with it. And I'll tell you the truth, I remember when Steve Arakawa, you might have been on the committee as well, we were at Loma Linda, and they were going to do the uh, very first ever um, restoration. And I remember hearing people say, it'll never work. It'll never happen here. This can't be done at Loma Linda. And they did it, and, I don't, and over the years, I don't know how many people have probably been baptized at Loma Linda on campus because of restoration. But it's as if a lot of times people want to believe it cannot be done so bad. That lack of faith will destroy you. And it is the reason a lot of times we can't intercede for addicts. We can't intercede for people who need help. Because we don't believe we can own a house that when people come out of prison, we can actually use as a halfway house to get people back on their feet. We don't believe we can do it. We're not willing to step out in faith. Yet the need is there. Yeah. I do prison ministry. I preach at Chino men and women's prison in Southern California with one of the ministries. And I'm telling you, some of those people, especially the women's prison, some of those women are on fire for the Lord. Yes. And it's sad that when they come out, we have no system as a church to help the people, nowhere to put them, no way to help them reunite with their children, nothing. That's a sad truth. Yes. So we've got to have more faith than to just believe enough to show up to church. The man showed up, but he showed up without fully believing that Jesus could do what he said he could do. We don't want to be like this man on that point. 
So he says, um, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. Verse 25, when Jesus saw, when Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the foul spirit, saying unto him, Thou dumb and deaf spirit, I charge thee, come out of him, and enter no more into him. You deaf and dumb spirit. Devil wants to take away your ability to hear God's word, deaf and dumb. He doesn't want you to speak God's word. The deaf and dumb spirit of that child, to me, in many ways, represents the church. And we've got to be careful that we don't get tied up so much that we can't speak for God and we can't, we're not hearing God's word either. Thou deaf and dumb spirit, he says, I charge thee come out of him and enter no more, and enter no more into him. Verse 26 says, And the spirit cried and rent him sore and came out of him, and he was as one dead, insomuch that many said, He is dead. The spirit comes out of him and the kid collapses. This happened to me before. Well, not to me, but to one of my patients. I was working in, in, in uh, Wadawi, Alabama, and a lady, um, I tell a story all the time because it fits this. She had decided she was going to get back in shape that day, in one day. She smoked, she drank, and she ate typical Southern cooking. And she went to the gym and got on the treadmill and said, she's going to get in shape today. She just started running. Today. 46 years of age. 20 minutes into it, she starts having crushing substernal chest pain. She's diaphoretic, meaning she's sweating. She's short of breath. She's, she's pale, faint, almost collapses. They have to call an ambulance. They rush into this little tiny, itsy bitsy hospital. I'm trying to moonlight in and sleep at the same time as so I can go to work as a resident the next day. They, they, the ambulance comes in, and this woman, when I again put the EKG machine on her, tombstone signs. Man, I'm not going to get any sleep tonight. Long story short, um, one of the respiratory therapists, this is no, one of the, radio, the, the radiology tech, the guy who took all the films, he was a Christian. And you know what he told me? This was like what we call a dark county in Alabama where there were no Adventist churches. He told me he's a Baptist, but he keeps every Sabbath, every seven-day Sabbath holy. He said he studied the Bible on his own, and he realized the seven days of Sabbath, he couldn't find anywhere to worship. So I directed him to the church 40 or 50 miles north where I was living, but he would keep the Sabbath. He and I prayed. As this woman is tanking, literally spiraling to her demise, I said, listen, brother, because he doesn't stay around. He shoots the films and goes back. I said, when you go back in the room, pray. We need to make sure that this woman needs to come through the other side of this. So I got the cardiologist on the phone, and he says, well, give the TPA. So we bust the clot. You know, I can't even ask her any questions. There's a guy with her, but he doesn't know, seem to know anything. He's more panicked. So I told him, keep him outside. We, we send the medicine through, and when we do, her, these, this horrible, you know, um, a rhythm that she has goes flatline. And I said, oh, Lord, have mercy. The woman is dead. Now, because, of course, if she had a previous stroke or something I didn't know about, the, the actual medicine actually could kill the woman. It's a dangerous thing, but it's one of the ways we try to save them. She went flatline. Now... Luckily, I'd prayed, one. <laughs> Two, the other thing was I knew that you get a re-entry asystole after the heart almost hits a reset button. And when it hits reset, you go flatline. But it was as if for her to live, 
She almost had to come through this little short phase of a pseudo death for her heart to restart and the clot to bust and her heart to go back to working normally. Because the, 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 the clot was obviously affecting one of the parts of her heart that sends the signal to tell the heart when to beat. So it went flatline and within 10 seconds, seemed like two hours, 10 seconds, bam, normal sinus rhythm, perfect heart rhythm, poof, came back up on the screen. Praise the Lord, right? She's laying there, and I, and I say, you know, maybe she should get morphine. Now, we don't give morphine for pain. The morphine is to help dilate the vessel to get more blood, make sure the blood is going through her heart. I said, maybe we should give her two more milligrams of morphine before, because now, by now, a helicopter's coming to pick her up to take her to Birmingham. And um, the, the guy standing there says, no, 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 she's had enough morphine. Don't give her any more morphine. I'm like, okay. The woman sits up and says, and turns to one of the nurses says, well, our husband says, don't give her any more morphine. The woman sits up, turns to the nurse and says, turns to the guy and says, you shut up. Turns to the nurse and says, he's not my husband, he's my, boy, my boyfriend, give me the morphine. <laughs> Comes back like that. With an attitude, by the way. <laughs> Sometimes our situation is so bad that we have to go through this. Just like this boy seemed like he was dead. There's a phase where self has to die. We talk about being a new creature, but a new creature has to come on the heels of the death of the old creature. You get what I'm saying? You can't keep the old man alive and be a new creature at the same time. And so this story also shows that. It's the same principle when we're dealing with trying to give addicts recovery. Some, and a lot of times what gets addicts into recovery is they basically hit rock bottom. The VA hospital working with those veterans, was, it, was, it was an incredible spiritual experience. Those guys would tell me stories about how they would live, in, live on the streets, how they would live out of their cars, how they lost their families, their wives, their children, every penny over alcohol or drugs. And it wasn't until they finally got to where there was nothing else they could physically do that they finally turned to God. I warn young people, you said it during the break, I warn young people all the time, learn from the mistakes of other people. That's wisdom. Because you don't, want to, you don't want to have to go through what everybody else went through to learn the lessons they, had to, they learned. This story tells you that this, this young boy had to literally get to, there was a reset button on him, just like that heart, a re-entry. Spiritually, like a re-entry had to happen where he laid there like he was dead for a while until Jesus deals with him again. And in some ways, all of us need to make sure that self has died, that the old man is dead in us. A lot of times we're feeding the old man and trying to have a new and trying to be a new creature in Christ at the same time. Can't go both. You can't you can't still keep listening to the old music you used to listen to and hanging out with some of the same people you used to do used to and you know you, you can't do both. Yeah. I say a lot of times sometimes there's people on your cell phone you need to take off. <laughs> Ex-boyfriends, ex-girlfriends, you need to cut them off. Take them out of your life. Because you, you, your, you, your relationship with them, your previous relationship with them is not going to feed your new creature. You know, you have some girls say, well, you know, maybe I, can, maybe I can convert him, Pastor. Maybe I can turn him around. You worry about getting turned around yourself. <laughs> Leave that boy to Jesus. The Holy Spirit works just as good over there. And you can pray for him, but stay away from him. Right? In Jamaica, they say, all fire sticks burn easy. Right? So you don't want to be running around with folk that you used to do certain things with because sometimes it'll, it'll be what helps lead you back into that stuff. Yeah. And you got to have wisdom to discern how do you witness to your old friends yeah. 
versus becoming and returning to your old self with your old friends. So he's dead. It looks like he's dead anyway. Um, the spirit cried out, and many said he is dead. Verse 27 says, but Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. You want to get on your feet out of whatever you used to be into, whatever addiction you used to have, whatever bad habit. You want to get on your feet because Jesus grabbed your hand. You want Jesus to lift you into your new life. We talked a lot about the Christian celebrity. There's a problem with that. Because if you're, if you're trying to lift yourself up, you, Jesus has no, you have no need for Jesus to lift you up. I like the way this ends. Verse 28, and when he was coming to the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could not we cast him out? Why couldn't we deal with this, Jesus? Why couldn't we, why couldn't we cast this demon out? They were hurt. Look at verse 29, and, and he said unto them, this kind can come forth by nothing but by prayer and fasting. Now notice, and we'll close on this, and I'll go into some spiritual stuff here to end, because you can apply this to any difficult spiritual situation you're dealing with. Notice that Jesus doesn't say, because I studied spiritual warfare. Notice that he doesn't say, I, I learned how the, the technique of exorcism. Jesus doesn't say that he went and, you know, you know, learned from some ancient scholar how you do this. Or how did he gain victory over this demon? Prayer and fasting. That is the fight of faith. He gained a victory by prayer and fasting. And he says some things in your life and in other people's life will not be removed unless prayer and fasting is taking place. The danger we have in our churches right now is that we have these deliverance ministries popping up. Have you heard of these things? Deliverance ministries. And they believe that they can go in there and exercise the demons. And the problem is, the people don't have a demon to begin with. So they go in there and find the demon first. Peanut butter you got a peanut butter demon, or you got a, or you got a, uh, you got a Twinkie demon. You, you, you know, you got a soda demon. And it, everything is a demon. You're late all the time, or you got the demon of procrastination. Everything becomes a demon. Well, that, 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 that's a bit scary, first of all. And it's not biblical. And I, I saw this happen, and I, I'll end with this story. Um, we were in, I, I was at a church. I can't even say where I was, because everybody's, this is such a small world. And I preached at a church, and when I'm done preaching, we did, they did communion, and the pastor and the elder said, hey, we're going to go visit some folk and do communion with them in their homes. Do you want to come with us? I said, sure. You know, uh, there's just like one or two families. It wouldn't take long. We'd come by, then we'd come back. Lunch would be ready. I said, great, let's go. I noticed, however, the elders wouldn't, didn't want to go. In fact, the head elder hands me a bottle of olive oil, like a Crisco bottle of olive oil, and I was like, you're going to need this where you're going. <laughs> I said, I mean, we're doing communion, aren't we? I mean, what we need olive oil for? We frying fry pats or something? The grillers? What, what is this? He said, no, you know, just take this bottle. There's some interesting stuff that went on in that house. And now I'm like, okay. So I said to the pastor, okay, where are we going anyway? And what are we going to do? He said, well, this is a tough couple that we're going to see. The last time I was over there, the woman was possessed, and she chased me out of the house, her and the demon. 
I said, man, do I look like, do I have something on my hat, shirt, tie that says Ghostbusters? Uh, I don't, I mean, I'm not shaggy from Scooby-Doo. I'd rather not see any of this stuff, brother. He said, no, 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 you gotta come. And of course, by now I'm holding the oil and the bag. <laughs> the elders have all handed it off. <laughs> and, and me and the pastor standing there, and we're gonna, one of the older pastors that's kind of like a retired pastor, he, he's supposed to drive, and he has this nice Mercedes. And when he finds out where he's going, he says, listen, I'm not driving my Mercedes over there. <laughs> Take his Honda. And so we get in, I'm in the backseat of this guy's Honda now. We're riding into the projects. I'm holding this giant bottle of Crisco-sized olive oil and a and the communion bag. And I'm like, where, what am I going into? And on the way over, it gets scarier because now the pastor's telling the whole story. He starts telling us how he went over to the house and this woman had super strength and this deep voice and she was possessed and she's chasing him around and he's saying the 23rd Psalm over his shoulder as he's running around the kitchen table and she runs him out of the house and down the street. I said, and we're going to, I mean, is it safe to do communion with this woman? She said, well, her husband just got out of the hospital and he can't come to church and we got to go do... I said, oh, man. By now, of course, then they locked me in the car and we're driving down the road. So we get there and, I, you know, I'm praying and I'm wishing I had like a super soaker gun so I could pour the olive oil in it and go in there and just <laughs> start spraying. Uh, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, but, you know, I'm like, I mean, if the olive oil's got some kind of special effect on it there, give me some way to get it on her quick. We go there and the woman comes out to greet us and she is as the Bible says, um, clothed and in her right mind, praise the Lord. So I was very happy about that, even though I did stay in the door for the first part of the session. Um, and she was very nice. House was real clean. Her husband had had bilateral wrist surgery or something. And we did communion with her. We prayed with her. And she told us the story of what happened. One of the ex-Adventist pastors now, this, at that conference, this pastor no longer was, was officially a part of the church. They'd have removed him off of the church roles as a pastor because of his these spiritualistic uh, things that he was doing. He had these weird dance sessions in the church to call down the spirit, and um, he would keep tithe money, which that's not very spiritualistic, I guess. But, um, but he was doing all these things, so they finally put him out. But he believed in healing ministry and tongues and all this stuff. He'd come to her and said that she had a demon. And he said, I'm going to take the demon out of you. Now, her problem was, if I've been baptized and I've come to Christ and I'm living in Christ, how can a demon live in me and Christ live in me at the same time? So she asked him that. And he said, well, you know, the, the demon is, is hiding in some section of your soul or something he made up. And they began to try and exercise the woman. And what happened, according to her, and I, I mean, it's a firsthand story, she said, in the process, the, she felt as if the demon went in her. And she said she believes she was truly demon-possessed for a long time. She apologized to the pastor. She spent five minutes apologizing for how he, she behaved the time before, but she kept saying, it wasn't me. And it all happened because they had this guy come in who had no real spiritual authority over anything. I don't believe the woman was possessed in the first place. Now, what he may not have, the pastor probably didn't know that she didn't, she knew but didn't know all about was that when she was a child, they lived in, she was from Louisiana, and her mother was into 
um, some uh, voodoo type stuff in, in New Orleans or somewhere in Louisiana. But you know, she had come out of it herself, had been baptized, and when he comes in now, it is if, it, you know, she lost spiritual power because she now didn't believe the blood had set her free. You get what I'm saying? And that set her up for whatever wound up happening. And I mean, I got enough of the story, I didn't want much more of it. But I understood, and I preach this a lot now, be careful when people come around saying they're going to, you know, put out your demon of, of, of greed or put out your demon of pride. Be real careful. In the last days, there's going to be more and more of this. They got these TV evangelists doing it now. And our, a lot of our seven-day pastors, seven-day Adventist pastors, are really trying to model what they see the Sunday pastors doing. We got to be real careful. They don't take that stuff and bring it into our church. We don't need that stuff. We got enough stuff to deal with. Never mind some people going around making up demons. Jesus didn't do any of that stuff. When he needed to deal with a demon, what did he say to the disciples? Prayer and fasting. He didn't have to go looking for demons under every rock. Prayer and fasting. When he needed the power of God, he could, he, he could call on it. And I say to you that that's the lesson. When we need the power of God, if we've been prayed up and we've been fasting and we've been in our word, when we need the power of God, it will be available to us. There's no methodology, no technique, no quick fix book, no, you know, exorcism for, for dummies book you can buy that's going to get you around dealing with life. In fact, fasting and prayer still works. Seeking God's face out of a humble heart works just as good today as it did for Elijah or Paul or any of the other disciples or apostles. And we have to return to simple, primitive godliness. Nothing fancy, nothing flashy, just calling on the name of the Lord out of a pure heart, seeking his face, boldly going to the throne of grace and applying the blood of Jesus every day, calling on the Lord to have his blood applied to our lives and then interceding for others by asking God to show up in their lives and have the blood applied in their lives. And we can move a lot of things in our church. A lot of great things will happen for the Lord if we get out of the way and invite Jesus in to do the work. And then he uses us as his vessels to do it. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for this time here in nature, we just ask, Lord, for your Holy Spirit. We ask, Father God, that you would always remember your people, Lord, those of us who call on you, as well as those, Lord, who have, those who have turned their back on you. Let each of us here become intercessors for those who have addiction problems. Let each of us, Lord, become intercessors for people who are caught up in sexual sin. Let each of us, Lord, become intercessors for those who are having maybe marital problems, even financial problems, Lord. Let us pray and invite you in. Father God, help us to seek your first, seek your face first, Lord, and most. Let no problem happen, Lord, and we go running to man for the answers. Instead, Father God, let us seek Jesus when we have a problem. And Lord, let us teach others that Jesus is still the way. This is our prayer in Jesus' precious and holy name. Lord, we ask for a continual outpouring of your Holy Spirit on this campground, on this, on this um, uh, I should say, institutional site, Father God. And I ask, Lord, that you bless 
Weimar and Amazing Facts and GYC, uh, the general GYC all around. Father God, for there are many who aren't doing this work anymore. So we ask, Lord, that you would, you would just pour out your blessings on those who faithfully serve you in these institutions and for these organizations. That, Father God, that work would not be in vain, but that thousands of, and even tens of thousands would come to know Jesus Christ because of the work that is being done by these organizations and in these institutions. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.